Hello, this is Risa Courier, host of the Alliance podcast, coming to you from the Humane Rescue Alliance in Washington, D.C. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Jenna Billiter. She is the Director of Volunteer and Foster Resources at HRA. So thank you, Jenna, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Super excited to be here. So... Jenna, first of all, how are you? How are things going? So things are going well. I mean, I am definitely missing being in the shelter during this time, yeah. but technology really has allowed us to stay connected and um, respond to things happening day to day. That's the truth. I think I have learned more in this last week about the different technological tools to work <laughs> virtually than I have learned ever. I, I was going to say I've never used so many like video conferencing right. apps in my whole life. Like I used them all last week. <laughs> yes. And I, from I think, you know, we're using Teams and the Skype function through Teams. But I also I've done Zoom calls this week. Um, lots of conference calls, and I think we're getting a rhythm of getting, um, keeping our workload going uh, while also feeling connected, yeah. even though we're not in the same space. But it is sort of, it's sad. I mean, I, I do miss my colleagues. I miss being around the animals and being in the shelter. I still am going in but not as regularly. So, um, yeah. yeah. So interestingly enough, we had, um, round tables scheduled with our volunteers last week to get feedback on a program okay. that we're developing. And we used Google meet for that instead of doing the in-person round tables. And so I was able to have still a little bit, con a little bit of a connection with our volunteers that way. So I think it has really helped mm -hmm. being stuck at home all this time. Well, that's good. And for volunteers, I mean, what are you, what are they saying to you? Because we have volunteers that are still coming to the shelter every day, walking dogs, uh, overseeing playgroups, cleaning kennels. And what concerns are they raising to you? So we, we surprisingly haven't had a lot of concerns. We've always been messaging them that if they are not comfortable coming in, they are under no obligation to do so. We've only had a handful reach out to us indicating um, that they may have some medical concerns and mm -hmm. we've just been giving them the guidance that um, they should follow whatever their local government is recommending for um, symptoms or exposure. And then um, we ask that they wait 72 hours until symptoms are totally resolved to come back in and start okay. their service in the shelter. Okay. And so you're getting the same core group of people, though, that are continuing to show up. We are. Up. We are. That's amazing. And I think it's really um, a testament to the dedication of our volunteers and our community that they're still supporting the shelter and our work. I mean, it, it truly has been really overwhelming in the best way possible to see how our community in DC has really um, reached out and wanted to support us in any way possible. We have seen a huge surge in folks 
signing up to foster for us. I mm-hmm. mean, we were getting maybe 10 signups a day and then we jumped up to um like 50 to 100 a day. So oh my goodness. People want to help us and that feels so good and that puts us in such a good place um to be able to know that we have that group mm-hmm. of people who are willing to jump in and help our animals as soon as we ask them to. No, that that's wonderful. And how so you've been able to transition a lot of your the foster and volunteer training um, to signing up digitally, digitally and virtual mm-hmm. training. And how is that going? So it's going well. So we just like a week and a half ago, we had the requirement that any foster parent who wanted to be matched with an animal had to come on site and do an animal care orientation. And we had already had in the plans to get rid of that because we wanted to have um, as barrier free a, pro- a process as possible. But this really kind of gave gave us the push that we needed to to remove that. And so I will say there was a couple of bumps along the way for folks who were kind of already in the pipeline for the old process, but mm-hmm. it took us about a week to get that sorted out. So folks have to just sign up online, watch an online orientation, and then we send them the link so that they can get on deck to be matched with an animal. Um, because we had such a high volume of folks interested, it's taking us a little bit longer to get folks through, but we've... Um, mm-hmm grab some extra volunteers and some staff to help us with getting all of those processed and through our system. And so um, it's just like, again, it's just been really like heartwarming to see how our community chips in and helps when we, when we need it. So how are you managing the other aspects of foster? Because for there's the first piece is, you know, getting people signed up, getting them trained, and then the second piece, matching them with the animal. But then there's the other components, supporting them with questions and needs and medical care and all the other aspects that go into fostering an animal. So how is that part going? So right now, knock on wood, it is going fairly smoothly. I will say we had a pretty decent infrastructure in place to be able to support all of those needs. we have a volunteer manned forward-facing inbox. We have um, volunteers who are processing all of the applications coming in, um, volunteers who are matched with foster parents so they're able to be able to answer any questions that they may have once they are matched with an animal. Um, we have a medical system in place that allows for foster parents to um, self-schedule their appointments. Um, and one of the things that we had to do is we kind of had to revamp that process a little bit just to maximize social distancing. So we implemented car appointments. So they just schedule their appointment the way they normally would. We have a tech come out, grab their critter, get their phone number, go in, do the exam, call the foster if um, there's anything that's any information that's needed during the exam. And then they bring the pet back outside to the foster parent with any needed medical supplies and then the foster parents on their way. So foster parents just need to hang out in their car for a little bit while their foster is getting their exam. So minimizing 
numbers of people moving in and out of our facilities. Well, that is fascinating. And I think as we think about some of the changes that we're making right now, thinking about fosters and people not having to even exit their vehicle to bring in an animal for appointment, that might be something that could linger and carry over once we're out of this space. It just makes so much more sense when we already have very crowded small waiting rooms and a lot of people coming and going in the shelter to, to take that additional step out of the process and keep people in their own car. That's, that makes perfect sense. So, so I think that that's, it's a great process to have, especially if you have a foster with suspected infectious disease, but also if right. you're having um, a situation in your facilities where you may have mm -hmm. an infectious disease going on, that might be another great process to keep so that you're mm -hmm. limiting those animals exposure, right? And limiting those people touching all the things in your shelter that could potentially expose their foster animals to infectious diseases. Right. And, and we're very, in the sheltering world, we are already very mindful of infectious disease and Absolutely. through all the protocols and all the procedures and steps. And so this would be now, but it's always thinking about it from animals, how we try to minimize transferring one, like parvo, right. something serious like that from one animal to another. Uh, and now adding the human component to it, I think only adds to our ingenuity and creativity as we try to establish additional barriers for this virus. Totally. Um, one of the things that we instituted last week, which um, I thought was kind of unique was doing virtual meet and greets for foster animals. Um, you know, some of our foster parents had started expressing concerns about welcoming members of the public into their home to meet the animal that they're fostering. Um, mm -hmm. And so we came up with some guidelines for the different species um, and ages of animals about how they could more safely interact with members of the public to not stall out that adoption process once an animal is in a foster home. Um, and so for for our kittens, we, we highly recommended doing um, virtual meet and greets. And mm -hmm. then um, for cats, we recommended virtual meet and greets. And as like the foster parent and the potential adopter were um, comfortable doing an in-home meet and greet, and then for our puppers, we actually recommended figuring out a non-crowded public park where dogs are welcome to just go out and do the meet and greet outside of the home. That's great. And that's just another way that we don't have additional members of the public coming into the shelter and placing that burden on shelter staff. This mm -hmm. is all happening in a really safe way. Um, out of the shelter. So that's yeah. great to hear. So have you done anything else in terms of foster pickup um, when the fosters pick up the animals or any other creative things you're thinking about to encourage social distancing while also getting animals into foster? 
So one of the things that we've started to do is we used to send home a packet of information, paper, paper packet that had all kinds of information about the animal and vaccine schedules and all that good stuff. And what we've done is we've just gone to an all online format for that, even the contract that they sign. Um, so that all gets to the email to the foster when we tell them they've been matched with an animal so that there's just less contact with things that can spread the virus. Um, and then we, we haven't quite figured out a great way to do like concierge pickup where they can let us know that they're here and we bring the animal out to the car. But we have certainly started thinking about large um, evacuation processes in case that's necessary. And the plan that we came up with that for that actually involves people signing up, scheduling a time when they're going to come pick up their animal, and we would mm -hmm. have um, staff meet them out in the parking lot and bring them their animal. So um, definitely there are thoughts on the table for those things um, should we have right. to implement a wider, um, higher volume placement of animals. That makes sense. And I think for every organization, they have to evaluate their parking lot um, capacity to host something like that. And there's the capacity of their staff to accommodate it. And I'm mm -hmm. sure that is going to be a conversation that evolves um, constantly. Absolutely. So you recently did a really well-received training in St. Mary's County where you, um, you taught the attendees about how to create a foster program and how to maintain it and keep it running. But then also you taught how to um, care for neonatal kittens. So I've, I've heard that this, what it's going to be a webinar, it's going to be available soon. Um, do you want to share anything, some highlights from that webinar in case anyone listening here might want to take a look at it? Sure, I'm super excited that we're doing this. I think, I think the biggest thing I really want people to know is that while today HRA has a really robust neonatal program, I started out not even knowing what a neonatal kitten was and grew from there. So if we can do it, anybody can do it. And the goal is just to try. If you have to start small and pick a very special, specialized population of neonatals to start with sending to foster, do that. Just start somewhere because this is a population of animals that can be saved. And it is absolutely possible, no matter what your resources are, to do this. And then my other biggest point is that there is no way I could have grown the programs that we have right now without really enlisting the partnership of volunteers to help me create, develop, manage, sort logistics, all of those things um, within our foster program. So volunteer partners really are your key to success when it comes to these types of programs. So um, please, if you have folks um, interested in helping with these types of programs, 
bring them on board, bring them in closer and let them help you. Well, and this seems so timely, Jenna, that as, you know, opportunities to work with the animals from, you know, to be in the shelter might be diminishing as we increase social distancing. And I just saw, you know, the governor of Maryland and Virginia are continuing to restrict who should be out in the public and why. Um, and I think every state is going to have to figure out what are their essential services and will volunteers and fosters be part of that, hopefully. Um, but you, you have this incredible virtual opportunity for people to be leaders as volunteers and something that you do that's really unique that other shelters may not have um, found out about that this is even a possibility is that you have volunteers that are actually serving as coordinators. So they're the ones keeping the spreadsheets and organizing what um, helping you know, facilitate animals going into the homes and 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 also serving in that as that first line of questioning. Like, mm -hmm. I have, so I, I will say we are my my foster team has grown, so we have staff now that can assume some of those previous volunteer roles. But when mm -hmm. I first started, I had I had volunteers running everything from orientation to matching people with animals to arranging pickups of animals. Um, all of those functions were volunteer based and they were remote positions. So people could right. do them from work, from their home, from their mm -hmm. couch at night, on the weekend. All of those things afforded opportunities to people who otherwise weren't able to get into the shelter or foster animals. Our very first um, volunteer case manager, um, which is a role that once an animal is placed in foster, the case manager is their first line of contact. And that case manager follows the um, placement all the way through until the animal gets adopted. Our very first case manager for neonatal kittens, never saw a neonatal kitten in her life, really wanted to be involved, couldn't foster. And so we brought her in, we trained her, and she has been with us for six years now and is training people on how to care for neonatal kittens herself. So... Um, it is the, the case manager position especially is just so incredibly critical in the retention of fosters in the building of skill sets of foster parents so they can take on more complex cases. And it also allows our foster department to focus on building new programs and um, in times like this, really focusing on figuring out what animals need to get out the door and getting them out the door because they are not having to focus um, time on helping foster parents navigate their way through the fostering process. That's great. It's, it's great that people of all abilities and locations have the opportunity to participate in supporting um, a shelter's critical mission to serve the animals in the community. Um, well, this is this is really great, Jenna, and I think this has been so informative for folks that are listening who may be a little bit intimidated about expanding their foster program because they don't have a budget or staff 
And that a lot of it seems to come down to just putting some faith and trust into a core group of volunteers who can help grow it with you. Absolutely. Um, so do you have any recommendations for people that don't even have a core group of volunteers? How have some of these fantastic people come to you? How have they found out about the foster program? So many of our case managers are all-star foster parents or foster parents who we've seen really take on a particular population and thrive with that population. Um, and so that's how we've recruited them. We've said, we've noticed you're a star in this area and we, we think you would be really great at supporting other foster parents and we've recruited them. But we've just also done all calls. Anybody that's a volunteer, here's where we need help. Do you know something about this or do you have a particular passion in this area? Can you help? Um, and so, you know, there's a spectrum of ways to recruit people. I think if you advertise something as a remote position, that really um, gets the attention maybe of some people who may not um, be normally on site or able to really foster prolifically that you would you know, would register as someone that you would normally think of. So don't limit yourself to just one track of, of trying to recruit folks to help you open the door. Um, and, and even if you have people who want to come in and may not be a great fit for the role that you're looking for, I think there are a million other ways that people can help programs. We have people that come in and pre-pack all of our supplies that we like to send out with fosters. We have people who help with the onboarding process for foster parents. We have people who just man our inbox and answer questions that the public has about fostering. So there are lots of ways to bring people in and make them really excited about helping your program. That's great. That's very good advice. And there seems to be amongst this situation with COVID-19, just so many resources now on like, here's the quick and dirty of how to get your foster program up and running and expand it. And here's a press release. Here's this, you know, the entire toolkit. I was looking today, the Association of Animal Welfare has an incredible COVID-19 toolkit, which includes all everything you'd ever want to know about fostering. Um, there's also, I know, uh, uh, Petco Foundation has some incredible resources, and then uh, we'll we'll have our webinar soon. And um, and then, of course, Jenna, I know you also have software and um, lots of other resources that you utilize every day in running our fantastic program at HRA that that you could share with people and make available. So um, should we just uh, share your email address or what? what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? So if folks wanna get in touch, they can just email foster at humanerescuealliance.org and then they will make sure okay. that it gets to me. Um, I also wanna tell folks that we have a really cool toolkit for foster programs to use that helps you figure out what animals need to go to foster, figures out who who is available to foster them, and then lets you, they talk to each other when you match them with the person with the animal, and it all keeps track of it in one spreadsheet. Um, so you can go to Humane Rescue Alliance slash foster matchmaker to access that. Um, 
which is is based on the tools that we use in our program to make things, the infrastructure run really smoothly. Okay, so it's Humane Rescue Alliance. Dot org. Dot org. Slash foster matchmaker. Okay, and I will say as a foster through this program myself, it is really, um, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it and it takes a lot of the email back and forth. Mm -hmm. You are, it, the questions are incredibly specific. What is your household like? Who's in your household? Uh, what is the specific age, species? Um, all those questions are asked and then you are able to mark your availability and you can change that. So as a foster parent, if I have company coming to stay or I'm going on vacation, I can change my availability. And then if I become available, then I am saying I am ready to be matched with an animal of my specification within 24 hours and I will show up. And yeah, that's that's our on deck system. And that oh, okay. is one of the reasons why we have been able to place the number of animals during the situation that we have been because our fosters were very clear about just like you were about expectations mm -hmm. of when you sign up on deck. And we can very easily see who we already have that is available to take in the animals we currently have on site. We can also use that information to make a shout out and say, hey, we really need people to take cats or we don't have anybody signed up to take small animals. If you're out there, please make sure you're on deck. Um, and it makes the matching process so smooth. Yeah, it is great, especially when you're dealing with the volume that you are right now. So do you know about how many animals you have in foster or how many fosters you have in the on deck system right now? So I haven't looked today, but last Friday when I looked, um, we had close to um, 150 available homes. Um, uh -huh. And we had, oh, I want to say 80 ish or so animal, animal, 115 animals in about 80 ish homes last Friday. So that was about four uh -huh. days ago. Um, so yeah. That's great. That's good to hear, Jenna. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been great talking to you. And hopefully I will be able to see you again in person very soon. Very soon, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me.